2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm just going to read the first verse. And the title of the message tonight is Two Sides of the Same Coin. And it's not a casino chip in case anybody's wondering. It's just a coin. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And let's pray. Father, I do thank you again for an opportunity to preach your word. I ask you now to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to stand out of the way. Allow only the words that the Holy Spirit would have me to say come through. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts of people this evening. Pray this message would be an encouragement as well as a challenge. And I pray that you would bless our time as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I want to talk tonight about uh, sanctification and separation. It's two sides of the same coin. On the one side, we have sanctification. On the other side, we have separation. You cannot be sanctified without being separated. You can be separated without being sanctified, but then that's just living a a moral lifestyle. So, for instance, the Mormons, they are separated, um, but they're not necessarily sanctified. So you can be separated but not sanctified. Um, But it's still, from a biblical perspective, it's still still two sides of the same coin. But from the perspective of Scripture... We are to be separated from some things and sanctified to some things. So while we have a two-sided coin, it's coming from two different perspectives. We're to separate from some things, but we're to sanctify to some things. Sanctification, uh, general definition, is just being set apart. So we're to be set apart. And first of all, We should be separated from sin and sanctified to God. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to do uh, quite a bit of scripture turning this evening because I want you to see from the passages what we're trying to get across. Colossians chapter 3. From sin. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Bible says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. We are to separate, as Christians, we are to separate from sin. And we must not account sin to be a pleasure. Sin is pleasurable, but it's not pleasurable for a Christian. It should not be pleasurable for a Christian. There should come conviction when we sin. There should become uh, repentance uh, and sorrowful repentance when we do sin. But I think... Sin should be a thing to be hated as a deadly poison and to be avoided as a putrid carcass. And uh, when I think about putrid carcasses, I always think about that bloated being on the side of the road 
Um, and it's just disgusting, and the smell is disgusting, and that's how, <clears throat> that's how God smells our sin. <clears throat> it's a putrid, disgusting thing to God, and we ought to view it that way. That should be our perspective. We should view our sin as putrid and wretched. <clears throat> um, this putting off applies to all sin, and he lists here some sins that they are to mortify, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. And it's kind of interesting because he's giving two perspectives in these verses here. He's saying your old life, your old man had these things involved in it. You were fornicators. You were unclean. You had inordinate affection. But now that you're saved, and then he goes on in verse 8, and these are the things that Christians really should be dealing with. We shouldn't be dealing with fornication. If you're a Christian, fornication should not be named among you. These aren't the things that we should be, these should be, these should be anathema. These should be done away with. These shouldn't even be in, in our life at all now that we're saved. And that's what he's pointing out here. He said, these are the things that you were, but now you need to put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. These are some of the things that Christians have to deal with after they're saved. So the, and I don't, I generally don't like the words big sin and little sin, but the sins before they were saved, these inordinate affections, this uncleanness and the fornication, once they were saved, those things should automatically be put away. Those things are out of your life. Now you need to deal with the other sins in your life, the things that are a little more difficult to deal with. Anger is difficult to deal with. Anytime you drive on the highway, anger is difficult to deal with. Um, but that's what, the, that's what Paul's point is here, that the, even these sins need to be separated from. These are the things that we need to put away. <clears throat> and this idea of mortify, uh, one man gave this example. A brave officer once uh, said, said once to his soldiers in a day of battle, unless you kill your enemy, they will kill you. And that's true about sin. Unless you take care of the sin in your life, it will take care of you. And in battle, when you think about it, if you don't take care of the enemy, they are going to take care of you. So you have to make sure that you mortify to kill, to remove from your life these things that are listed here. In like manner, uh, may it be said, unless we crucify the flesh, it will be our everlasting ruin. And that's true. Every day we have to get up and we have to crucify the flesh anew. And these are the things that we need to deal with. So we are to separate from sin, but then we're to sanctify to God. So we're to set ourselves apart to God. Um, in Colossians chapter 3 then, in verse 12, he goes on to say, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bonds of perfectness. So we're to separate from sin, but then we're to sanctify ourselves. We're to, to uh, put on these other things. We're supposed to be merciful. We're supposed to be humble. And these are the things that we put on. These are the things that we set ourselves apart to, sanctify to. Um, and in, in, uh, it's interesting, the, the word that is used sanctified is only ever translated one other way 
in Scripture, and it's only in the Lord's Prayer. When, when the Lord prayed, hallowed be thy name. It's the same word in the Greek as is used here, sanctify. It's to become holy. So we are to, we are to move ourselves toward holiness. And it's, honestly, it's, it's dying in churches today. People aren't living holy lives. They aren't heading toward holiness. They want the things of the world. They want to enjoy the things of the flesh. They want to uh, be part of the world, but be also Christians. They don't want to practice holiness, and they, they, they decide to label things uh, legalistic, or they say they have liberty. Well, we never have liberty to sin, but people use that as an excuse to be able to do the things that aren't leading them to holiness. There are many things that will keep us as Christians from being holy, and they're not necessarily bad things, but there are things that keep us from being holy, just like there's things that keep you from having your devotions. There's things that keep you from having your prayer time. They may not be bad things that are keeping you from that, but you're being kept from that. And it's something that we have to keep into that perspective. One man said, as the soldier who is in the queen's service is required to appear in his uniform, uh, that all may know his calling, so the soldier of Christ must appear clothed in certain characteristics needful to prove his loyalty and show his allegiance to the Lord. If people can't tell you're a Christian, something's wrong. People should be able to tell by your uniform. And now I'm not talking about clothing, although we could go down that road. But um, people should be able to tell by your way of life, your mannerisms. And, and I am not for lifestyle evangelism, as long, but only if there is soul winning involved in that. But I am for lifestyle evangelism. If your life doesn't lead people to Christ... If people don't see a difference in your life, if they don't see Christ in you, then you have nothing to offer them. They see nothing that they need from you or from Christ, for that matter. Uh, but it requires our obedience. Uh, this separation to holiness requires our obedience. And it includes every virtue, which he lists here, uh, the mercy and the kindness and the humbleness. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, we all know the verse, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we're to still keep his commandments. We're to love one another. We're to love God above all. Um, the, the greatest and the first commandment, um, that God is to be loved above all, and the second like unto it. Um, transformation into the thing loved, so that God being charity, justice, and holiness, if we love him, we shall put on these. So we're to also put on those things. Bob Jones Sr. said, the Christian philosophy is a philosophy of self-denial, self-control, and self-restraint. The satanic philosophy is a philosophy of live as you please. Hmm. Well, that sounds familiar in churches today, too. Have what you want. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Oh, my. If that doesn't step on your toes, I mean, that steps on my toes. Um, if it's, it's your life, you have... Uh, you've got the right to live it. Have you heard those things before? Have you heard people say those? Have you heard Christians say those things before? And he's, uh, Bob Jones is just pointing out that that's satanic philosophy. That's what the world does. That's what uh, <clears throat> Christians shouldn't be doing. So he lists that. So not only are we to be separated from sin and sanctified to God, but we're also to be separated from improper thoughts and sanctified to 
proper thoughts. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. And the Bible says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust. <clears throat> and the reason that I point this out is that it's talking about your mind because he goes on to say, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm going to talk about this when I talk about proper thoughts, but he says, he says after that, and be renewed in, your, in the spirit of your mind. So in the context of this passage, when he says that we're to... Uh, uh, we're to uh, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. He's talking about our way of thinking <clears throat> because the next verse is talking about the mind. He's putting that into the context of the mind. <clears throat> you don't have to turn there, but uh, second, uh, second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're to, cap we're to ca uh, capture these thoughts um, before they take root or before they take action. <clears throat> Billy Sunday said, temptation is the devil looking through the keyhole, yielding is opening the door and inviting him in. So these thoughts will come into your mind. So the devil has fiery darts that he wants to throw at you. He has thoughts that you can't even imagine why that came into your head. Well, you can't imagine it because it's the devil putting those thoughts there. And he wants us to dwell on them. And that's why we have to captivate these things. We have to separate ourselves from uh, these deceitful thoughts. I was listening to a sermon this week, and the man stated that you have four seconds to deal with a thought. When a thought comes into your mind, you have four seconds to do something about that thought before it takes hold. And that's where scripture comes in. That's where knowing scripture, that's where having scripture ready anytime a thought, I will put no unclean thing before my eyes. When that thought appears, uh, instantly scripture should come to mind. And that's how, that's how God, that's how Jesus fought the devil. He quoted scripture. He gave the devil scripture right back at him. And that's the, the idea of what we need to do with the thoughts that appear in our minds. Sin has its seat in the heart. Every disposition of evil comes directly from the heart or from the mind, if you, if you like. So all sin originates in our thought life. We think about it. We dwell on it. And, you know, the Bible says uh, many times in Scripture how uh, he saw and he coveted. So the first thing was the thought. The second thing was the action. So with sin comes the thought before the action. We don't generally do things uh, by accident. Um, do things do happen by accident, but our sin doesn't happen by accident. But these things come into our hearts. Our heart thirsts after gratification in every evil desire. That's our flesh. Our flesh wants to be gratified. Our, our flesh wants gratification. Go 12 hours of fasting and tell me that your flesh isn't telling you to eat. That's, and, and tell, you know what, it's really hard when you work in food service to fast. I just got to say that. It's really tough, especially when you smell those cookies baking. I got to tell you, that's just, that's just evil. 
Um, Our hearts are deceitfully wicked, the Bible says. Um, It sears our conscience, affects our will, and defiles the passions and perverts the mind. That's what it does. That's what sin does to us. Um, But then he goes on in, in this chapter. He says in verse 23 and 24... Uh, where he's talking about the mind, <clears throat> he says, and renew in, uh, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. <clears throat> so we are to separate ourselves from these impure thoughts, but then we need to replace that. We need to sanctify ourselves to proper thoughts. We need to have these proper thoughts. Over in Philippians chapter 4, it's just a couple pages over, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, and you're all familiar with this, with this verse, it says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, thank on these things. So we're to get rid of the impure thoughts. We aren't to dwell on them. We're to take them captive, the verse said. But now, not only are we to do that, but we're to sanctify ourselves. The other side of the coin, sanctify ourselves unto pure thoughts. And this would be very handy while watching television. Whether or not, is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it good? Is it virtuous? Yeah, not many things on television are that way. And that affects our thoughts because we, we tune out when we tune in. When we start to watch TV, our minds go into neutral and the devil gets this opportunity to put whatever thought he wants in there and we don't even realize that it's coming in here. And I just cannot believe how many television shows now have some sort of homosexual component to it. It's, it is really awful and it's an agenda. It's an agenda that they want us to be acclimated to that kind of thought. But those aren't the things that we are to think about. We're to think about the things that are pure, the things that are honest. We're to have new thoughts. We were formerly in chaos. Our minds are in chaos, but now they're in light. We're to have new motives. The glory of God and the welfare of fellow men take the place of our selfish, sinful motives. So we're no longer to think about ourselves. We're to think about others like um, Brother Booth did uh, in the Salvation Army. He said it's all about others. It's not about ourselves. We're to, we're to sacrifice for others so that others may come to Christ. It gives us a new disposition. The blood of Jesus has washed away the corrupting inclinations of the heart, and it offers new enjoyments. The surroundings are new. The experiences are also new, and consequently, the heart has new joys. And so, We are to think on these things. So we're not only to separate from sin and sanctify to God. We're not only to separate from impure thoughts and sanctify to proper thoughts, but we're also to separate from the world and sanctify to the kingdom. So a preacher touched on this a little bit. I thought he was going to preach part of my message, but he didn't think. Praise the Lord. (laughs) But he talked about separation from the world today. Um, and in uh, turn over to Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six, and you all know this verse, verse seventeen. Second Corinthians six seventeen. 
Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Bob Jones here said, For a Christian, life is not divided into the secular and the sacred. To him, all ground is holy ground, every bush a burning bush, and every place a temple of worship. Moody said, If we walk with the world, I can't. Oh, if I walk with the world, I can't walk with God. And that's so true. Uh, we must renounce uh, its corrupt maxims and doctrines, the doctrines of the world, humanism. Uh, it's all about you. You are your own God. These are the, the thoughts of the world. These are the, this is the religion of the world. And their faith is placed in evolution because they need to take God out of every angle, out of every, uh, every process. So their, their religion is humanism, and their faith is placed in evolution um, because it can't be proven and it never will be proven. Uh, today, we have moral relativism. Um, it, it, it's only, uh, you, you think it's right because you think it's right. Um, it's not necessarily right, but because you think it's right, it's right for you. But it may not be right for me. Well, we have a moral compass that God has placed in our hearts. We all know, regardless of moral relativism or not, that it is wrong to kill. We know that. It is wrong to kill. So we don't have a, is it right to kill in this instance? Well, let me rephrase that. It's wrong to murder, okay? Because there are times when there's justifiable homicide. There's times when you need to have self-defense and protect yourselves. There's time when our country, our, our soldiers, our servicemen go to war and they have to defend our country. And so there are, there are reasons for killing and that's when the Bible says thou shalt not kill, it's, it's talking about murder. It's talking about taking innocent blood. And uh, I won't even go down the abortion trail, but that's there for you. Um, you hear today things like God just wants me to be happy. I, I was in preacher's office, and I've told this story before. A woman uh, came to his office and was seeking a divorce, and she said, Preacher, if you just read this material, you'll see. And Preacher had already settled in his heart that divorce is wrong. And uh, then she came out with this statement, Well, don't you think God just wants me to be happy? And he said, Well, where is that in the Bible? <laughs> because God doesn't want us to be happy. I mean, Happiness is, uh, is part of our circumstances. So when our circumstances aren't good, we aren't happy. Um, but it, our joy is in the Lord. So joy comes from the Lord, um, but certainly not in that circumstances. And if you have an opinion, you can find somebody that backs up your opinion. It's out there. All you have to do is Google it. And you'll find somebody that supports your position. Um, but that's not what the Bible says. Um, so stay away from Google. Um, we must forsake the unhallowed pleasures and amusements of the world. And, you know, Preacher mentioned this morning about, you know, going to casinos and, and uh, going to bars, and we know all of those things are wrong, but, you know, there's many more things that are wrong that the world does in their amusements that we shouldn't participate in. Uh, we shouldn't participate in, you know, family outings where alcohol is there and and we should stay away from those things. And we should forsake those types of pleasures. We must be separated from the world in its general spirit and its character. So we're to be separated from the world, but then we're to be sanctified 
um, to the kingdom. And for this, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, you don't have to uh, turn there because you all know this verse. In Matthew 6, 33, the Bible says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So God wants our first thoughts to be of the kingdom, of bringing things, of bringing people into the kingdom. That's what soul winning is all about, bringing more people into the kingdom. He's the, the parable that he gives, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come. Why? Because the end result is disastrous. They're going to die and go to hell. We have to compel them to come. But the kingdom should have a priority of our time. Our time commitment should be prioritized to the kingdom. Does this affect the kingdom? Will this help the kingdom? Will this make a difference in the kingdom? He says, lay up your treasures in heaven where moth doesn't corrupt. And so those are the things that we're to to head for. Um, In excellence of value, pursue the kingdom. In diligent pursuit of the kingdom, seek a personal interest in the kingdom. Seek the extension of the Redeemer's kingdom and seek the glory of the kingdom. And that's part of the Lord's Prayer as well in the, in the model prayer that he gives, um, that, that the, thy kingdom come, because that was his whole, Christ's mission was to bring the kingdom of God to man. And, uh, and salvation brings people into the kingdom. So not only are we to separate the world, uh, separate from the world and sanctify to the kingdom, but we're also to separate from divisiveness and sanctify to edification. And you're probably all familiar, Romans 16. Turn over there with me. Romans 16 and verse 17. Romans 16 and verse 17. The Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. We are to separate from divisiveness. It's the great weapon of Satan to divide and conquer. His successes are in church splits. His successes are in getting brother to war against brother. That's where he, that's where he wins an advantage, when he can divide and conquer. A church fighting amongst themselves is not fighting against him. That's his philosophy, and that's his method. We must beware of the deception of false teaching, entering in unaware. All the time when people come and they visit, they may have a different opinion. And I'm not opposed to people having different opinions. If you want to believe that, um, if you, believe that uh, you can lose your salvation, have at it. But don't try to purport that as a doctrine to everybody else. You can hold that opinion. You may not stay around long. Um, because preacher's going to tell you about it. Um, but you can have varying opinions. It's when you become divisive. It's when you try to purport that your opinion is right. And preacher talked about this again this morning. He said, you know, if somebody tries to pull you away and, and wants to talk to you about preacher or about something that he said or whatever, uh, bring him right to preacher. Let the, let the word be heard be, between the two witnesses. Um, and let, let them tell preacher, and that'll die quick, so you won't have to worry about that. Uh, we must separate from unruly brethren, lest we become entangled in their drama. Um, you, can, you can always tell when people are cooperating in a divisive behavior. When the instigator leaves, the followers leave. 
And this has been true over and over again. Again, we had a lady who decided that uh, she had a different uh, doctrine on uh, divorce than preacher held. And uh, it wasn't long before she left the church and she took people with her. And uh, that happens over and sometimes you lose a friend. But we have to separate ourselves from those kind of people, the, div- the divisive people, because they'll pull us in. They'll pull us, they'll suck us into that drama. They'll, they'll catch our ear. And the more we hang around them, the more uh, likely it is for us to, to give in to what they're saying or for the sake of uh, a friendship, I'll agree with you here. And then uh, it just gets a, it gets a hold and, it, and it's, it's not a good thing. Um, turn over to Romans 14, 19 then. Romans 14, 19, just a page over, says, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Um, edification, refrain from causing offense um, or a brother to stumble and be an encouragement to them. We're to edify, though. The word edify carries the idea of building up, an edifice, uh, the, the buildings that they, they erected uh, to build up, to encourage. We ought to encourage one another in the Lord. So we're to separate from decisiveness, uh, divisiveness, and uh, div- uh, brothers who cause division, and we're to sanctify too. We're to, to, to pursue edification of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Um, so we need to uh, do that. Abstain from everything that might lead another to act in opposition to their own conscience. You know, we had one lady uh, many, many years ago who uh, felt that she was the duly appointed uh, authority for the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, and she would tell people what the Holy Spirit uh, wanted them to know. Uh, wanted she would tell them what she wanted from the Holy Spirit to tell them what they needed to know. Wow, that didn't come out right at all. Um, but it tended to be more ripping and shredding than it did edification. Um, and that's not the way that we're to be. You know, we need to we need to be patient with babes in Christ. We need to be patient with people who come to our church that uh, aren't acquainted with our teaching or with, the th- with our beliefs. We have to encourage them um, and help them to grow and help them to learn the difference. So that's all, what, that's all part of edification, to build up. Discipleship is part of edification, to build up the younger Christian and uh, to show them the ways of right and wrong. Um, and the last one is yet future. So we're to separate from this body and be sanctified to a glorified body. And I praise the Lord for that blessed thought. Over, turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Thanks for being patient with me and turning to all the scripture. 2 Peter 1 and verse 14, the Bible says, Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. You know, the time is short. We only have 70, 80, 90 years on this earth. Although Abby had the privilege of meeting a lady at the nursing home at Eastwood that had just celebrated her 105th birthday. She had never met a person that was 105, so I introduced her. Um, 
but we don't live much past that. That's, that's extraordinary for someone to live that long. But that's all the time we get. If you think about eternity, what's, that's, a, that's not even a dot on the, on the timeline of eternity, so to speak. Time is short and we must redeem the time. So we have to be cognizant of the fact that we, need, we will one day separate from this body. Time is precious and we should make every moment count. Every moment that we're together. You know, there, there doesn't need to be fighting and anger amongst people um, when you think about the fact that life is short. And uh, why would we want to get bogged down in such things? And uh, time is quickly approaching. So we have to be prepared, both prepared uh, for the fact that one day we will pass, but also prepared by making sure of our salvation. Uh, because after we pass, we, we have no more opportunity. So if we're not saved, if we've never accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we've never had that new birth, the Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If we've never had that one-time experience where we've asked Jesus Christ to be our Savior, we've placed our faith and trust in him, then time is really short, and we need to take advantage of that. And then lastly, turn over to 1 Corinthians. And I, I read this at the graveside, and it's probably one of my favorite passages here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 In verse 53, and the Bible says, For this corruptible, our current bodies, must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin in the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to be free from sin. We will never have another impure thought. We will never have another impure action. We will be free from pride. We will be free from arrogance. We will be freed from all of that. And we will be immortal. Kind of a neat thought, isn't it? We're going to be immortal. And um, its distinguishing feature is the heavenly world. We will live the rest of our lives in heaven, glorifying and praising our Savior. <clears throat> and the immediate results are the presence and power of God. It secures purity, happiness, immortal vigor, and eternal life. We'll never have to sleep again. We won't have to eat unless we want to. And then we won't put on weight. <laughs> Amen. Um, Hudson Taylor said this, and I'll, I'll say this in conclusion. Uh, we are not only to renounce evil, but to manifest the truth. We tell people the world is vain. Let our lives manifest that it is so. We tell them that our home is above and that all these things are transitory. Does our dwelling look like it? Oh, to live consistent lives. So there's a lot of things in the Bible and, and in the scriptures that talk about separation. We're to separate from these things. But we also have to remember the other side of the coin is that we have to sanctify to some other things. So the Bible tells us to separate ourselves from sin, separate ourselves from the world, separate ourselves 
from improper thoughts. But it also tells us that we have to replace those things. And we have to sanctify. We have to set apart ourselves. We have to go after and seek after and pursue after holiness. And we have to pursue after proper thoughts. It's not something that it just comes naturally. We're not going to have proper thoughts naturally. We have to set our minds to think on proper thoughts. And we're to, uh, we're to prepare ourselves for the eventual coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's pray. Father, I do thank you again for the opportunity to preach the Word of God. I'm, I'm thankful how you've opened my heart and my mind to these uh, positions in the Bible concerning this uh, two sides of the same coin. And I pray, Lord, if there are people here this evening that are having issues with their separation, that you would speak to their hearts and the Holy Spirit would convict. I pray that if folks are having issues where they've separated, but they haven't set themselves apart unto, I pray you'd help folks to make decisions to be holy and to be set apart for you and for your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless during this time of invitation. We want to give folks an opportunity to uh, lay, lay this all upon the altar and leave it with you and make commitments and, and vows to you concerning going forward in their lives. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.